My third worst movie is The Lion King. Yeah, I hate... The remake. The <laughs> remake, sorry. <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah, the original 1994 animated film is one of my favourite films. I think it's in my top ten. It feels a bit insulting for them to go and remake it in this fashion. So today's conversation, which potentially could be our last episode of second year, so it's quite big. Yeah, sad times, but got to look to the bright future, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Positive start, positive start to an unfortunately fairly negative episode that's coming up. Yeah, in terms of the actual films, but I think we're going to find some fun picking them apart and having a good time. Great. So a few disclaimers. I think it's worth mentioning firstly that our five films that we picked to be the worst are on Letterbox. So for me, Letterbox only started just over a year ago. For Pat, it was around two and a half years ago. So this isn't the worst films that we've ever seen because it's hard mm. to remember or document that. Yeah, with Letterbox, I think the best way to approach it is by logging a film each time rather than trying to put down all the films you've ever seen because you often can't remember them all. So I started just from like zero and gradually built up. So yeah, these worst films aren't necessarily the worst films I've ever seen. Yeah. Mm. And it's worth mentioning as well that whilst we are critical with films in previous episodes, I think we need to acknowledge that it is difficult. The whole, uh, you know, you want to go into it. The whole filmmaking process is extremely difficult even in terms of when you did your short film, the casting, the equipment, everything that goes into mm. it. So I think, firstly, I don't want to re- really be too harsh on, on a film or, or anything about it, but mm. it, that's still, you're allowed to be critical of it. Yeah, until you've actually tried to make a film, it's hard to appreciate how difficult it is. There's so many different variables that can go wrong. Like, it's such a mammoth like thing to undertake. There's so many different moving pieces and people that all have to kind of come together perfectly. And it very rarely happens that you come out with something worthwhile. So, yeah, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. But then again, if you're not critical of the bad films, we never demand better, do we? You've got to, yeah, point out when something isn't very good so they can know where to improve. That's true. And haven't you spoke about before how sometimes it is actually quite useful to watch bad films so as you said you really appreciate the average or really good films yeah I actually went through a period of this when I was just like watching good film after good film and eventually they I couldn't really compare it with anything else and they all kind of fell on the same level so yeah I went back and watched a few notoriously bad films and then you could just really see the gap so I think it's good to watch a range of quality so you've got a bit of perspective yeah and when we discussing range of quality the idea is that generally speaking when you're going to watch a bad film so let's say that the films that we've got you're anticipating that it's not going to be great based on the actors that are in it based on the reviews you've seen based on the title of the film (laughs) so there are factors that come into it and I think that's it's useful to differentiate between the two between a film that you've got high expectations of that hasn't delivered which may be you expect it to be really good it was just average and then a film that you think you know when we watch some American comedies you know that it's not going to blow you away yeah. and, it, and it will generally be a bad film yeah well I think with any opinion you have it's always good to know where that opinion comes from like, that's the whole thing about criticism is not just pointing out something as good or bad because anyone can do that it's really understanding why you've got that opinion and what the film has done to create it Definitely. So I think we should get into our our list. Mm -hmm. If we could do it in descending order or ascending, so basically the worst film in our letterbox at the end. Yeah. So what's your number five? Okay, yeah. I think I'll start off with Cats. (laughs) Good start. Yeah, a film that I very much enjoyed, despite it being terrible. I watched it around Christmas time with my family, and we had a very good time just laughing at how bad this Cats adaptation was. When they announced that they were making a film about the musical, I was very sceptical from the off. Because 
with musicals, you allow a bit of creative liberty. Like the people dressed as cats, you can <laughs> you can kind of bridge the gap in your mind, and it's just like theatre. It's like performative, but when you're transferring that to film, it has to have like a concrete idea of what it is, and they didn't really figure that out. So they've got these weird CGI humanoid cats that just look very disturbing, <laughs> like some terrible like human face on them. Yeah, and it doesn't work at all. The Cats musical doesn't have a narrative, and again, that's fine, because the whole joy is seeing these very talented people dance around, but <laughs> in a film, <laughs> in a film, it doesn't work. You just sat there going for these god-awful songs with a lot of celebrities popping up. That, because that's the thing about it that I remember, <laughs> is it had a good cast. Yeah, it does, except from... James Corden, <laughs> which is who is always a pain to see, mm. but yeah, and it's just a nightmare of a film. Like even the sets aren't really done in proportion, so the cats are about the size of mice in many of the scenes. <laughs> so everything's just skewed and distorted. I remember that film coming out, and there was a bit of hype, and they probably were making it thinking this could be a real hit. So, I mean, you've met, you've touched on a few things, but what what really went wrong? Was it just the planning and, and how they were going to adapt it? I think it's the initial concept, really, of having... So just don't do it to start with. Yeah, it, it does, <laughs> I can't see any reality where a cat's film would work. Yeah, I just can't. They say, oh, what would you have done differently? I just wouldn't have made the film. <laughs> yeah, just, just leave it next time. <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of hype because it is directed by Tom Hooper... Academy Award winning, who made The King's Speech. Oh, wow. And The Danish Girl, and made the very successful Les Miserables. So he's had had experience with, like, very successful films and even musicals. But he just had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I completely can see... I don't think I'm ever going to watch it, but I've heard things and I saw YouTube videos about the way that the cats looked and the way that they were moving, even, and... and in proportion to the set, so I think I might leave that that one. Yeah, it's not even that good a musical to start with. No. I kind of like it. But can you think of examples, you mentioned Les Miserables, can you think of other examples where they've adapted a, a musical in West End or Broadway and into a film and it's done quite well? Uh, yeah, Chicago was quite good. That won Academy Award for Best Picture. Hairspray was decent. I didn't, was that musical or film first? I think it's a musical. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of too many. Obviously, they filmed a lot of musicals, like, actually on the stage. Like, I love how they filmed Hamilton, which is on Disney+. Plus. That's the way I watched it, because I can't get tickets for the musical. And that was during COVID, and everyone really liked it. Yeah, I love Hamilton. I, I can't think of many musicals that have been successfully adapted. A lot of them kind of fall flat. Wait, West Side Story was very good, the new Spielberg one. But, yeah quick note on that film as well because people are a bit unaware of that in the fact that it was a very good film as you said and it was quite highly reviewed mm-hmm. but it just wasn't seen by no, audiences I don't know why because musicals are quite big at the moment like we've had La La Land and The Greatest Showman which were massive box office hits and obviously Hamilton is like our generation's new musical so I, I don't understand why it didn't make money yeah it's kind of an anomaly, really. These things happen. So, yeah, I'm excited to... I might tune into the sequel Cats and Dogs if they make that one. <laughs> My fifth worst film on Letterboxd is the Twilight Saga New Moon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> My review says, don't ask me why, please. Which one is this, like, in the series? I'm this is number, unaware. This is number two. Have you got any others logged? Mm, I don't think so. Why did you start number two? <laughs> I went round to Nourish's and I think her and her housemate watched number one. And I luckily <laughs> was in the house at the time they watched Twilight New Moon. My history with Twilight is very much... I actually went to the cinema to watch one or two of them. Did you? When I was an early teen. and With a date or were you happily to go by yourself? <laughs> I think it was with a group one time. Not a group of lads. It was a... I think it was a bit before my time. Yeah. I was like eight or ten. <laughs> it's good that it was. Yeah. Because obviously the film is based on books, incredibly successful books. And, well, the, the films are quite successful with a lot of younger, uh, particularly female audiences, because it has Edward Cullen, who is... Robert Pattinson. Rob, Robert Pattinson and... 
Or can't remember the girl's name. Christian Stewart. Yeah, who have both had quite good careers after that. Mm. And it touches on love and romance and vampires. And so, it, you know, it it's quite good in, in some sense that it's it's got quite a big audience. But when I was watching New Moon, I, I was watching it through the lens of, is this a good, is this a well-made film? And it, and it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. It, the pacing was terrible. The, the special effects, I don't know if you've ever seen any of them. I've before. seen like countless YouTube reviews just like picking them apart. Yeah. Yeah. The special effects were terrible. The acting was, was awful. Kristen Stewart's actually quite a good actress, but she wasn't in Twilight. No. And... Yeah, I, I very much thought that because there's been great adaptations of uh, like teen books, um, I actually quite like Divergent, for example, or The Maze Runner. Um, they're quite good adaptations. From, yeah, from the, the Hunger books. Games series is decent as well. That was more my like I don't want to say generation because we're probably part of the same <laughs> generation, <laughs> but my like age groups, Twilight, like I saw all of those in the cinemas. Yeah. Yeah, they're good. And they're, yeah, the Hunger Games are a lot better. And I think, yeah, there were just, it seemed so many issues with Twilight. And, and there was, I think there was four or five films in the end. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that I only watched yeah. New Moon. What happens in the second one? Not a lot. Uh, yeah, whenever I watch any YouTube reviews, nothing seems to happen in the films. Like, it's just that love triangle between Jacob, Edward and Bella. And, yeah, there's a lot of, teenage sexual stuff which is a bit iffy yeah and some and then there's like a shit fight at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's mostly just to attract young girls because they'll they like that love triangle thing yeah it right. happens in every single like teen series is that love triangle because if you see hunger games there's like peter katniss and what's it called gail or something like that like there's a love triangle there yeah, it's in all of them. <laughs> so yeah, you can tell what audience it was trying to reach, and it obviously did well. But I'm, I will never watch another yeah. Twilight. I might do a marathon of Twilight one time, because <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I, I could I criticise it quite a bit, even though I've never watched it. It would be good if you you know you always. I, I guess you should give it a chance. Mark Kermode's quite open to those films, like he. Yeah, it makes a good point in that it's not for him. Like, the audience is young girls, and if they like it, then it's hitting that that market. Like, it's not for six-year-old critical men, is it? So you've got to put that into perspective, I guess. Definitely. So, yeah, my fourth worst film is a Disney film called A Wrinkle in Time, <laughs> which is really bad. It's kind of like a more arty attempt at a Disney film. I'm struggling to remember what happened, actually, but... When was it released? 2018, by quite a good director called Ava DuVernay. And basically, this young girl's father is a like scientist, and he kind of disappears. He gets stuck in some like interdimensional realm, and then... She's whisked away on this adventure to try and find him for all these like different worlds and fantasy worlds with like Oprah, <laughs> and yeah, it just is so bizarre and terrible. Yeah. And it's on. Did you watch it on Disney Plus? I did. I don't know why. I think it was twenty twenty. <laughs> I was just working my way through Disney's catalogue, and every scene is just overly whimsy. Do you know, like. The close-ups of the child's face looking at the world and she's just got a massive, like, smile on her face. And it's just very cringy and awful. Because there are... We've, I mean, we spoke about Disney a lot, but there are obviously time, a lot of times when they do get it wrong, um, but they're just lesser known, like the wrinkle in time. Mm, yeah. I don't know why I chose this one to talk about this. <laughs> I can't really remember anything about it. <laughs> I just remember Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey and she, like, appears in this girl's garden... As like a massive version of herself, like she's ten feet tall. And I don't, Winfrey. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. And then like Reese Witherspoon turns up as well as one of these kind of magical, like fairy-like people who like take her on this journey. And it's all just very strange. I'm yeah. trying to be a bit like experimental, but it doesn't work. And really terrible CGI. Yeah. Well, at least with that, you can warn people away. Yeah, and there's from watching it. She's got, like, a brother who's, like, five years old and he's the most annoying brat and a really, really terrible child actor. 
I don't like going in on child actors because it is hard, but he's noticeably bad. Let's talk about that. What Child actors are important in a film because you think of something like Room, and Room is absolutely unbelievable, and a part of that reason is the child actor is just phenomenal and so believable. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of times, and Home Alone, the child actor makes that series, yeah. basically, Macaulay Culkin. So, but there are examples where children and again you don't want to be too harsh but they just can't act or they don't fit the role or it just doesn't work um what are some of your examples of that yeah most child actors are terrible because acting is a very very difficult thing like it's not something that many people can do and it takes years of training so it often takes a very very good director like spielberg who often gets good child performances out one of the worst i can think of is the guy who played anakin in Phantom Menace. <laughs> it's like, are you an angel? <laughs> and it's not a great start to just hate this kid who you're meant to follow throughout this trilogy. To start off with someone you might despise. Oh, it's good to hate him because he ends up being someone that's awful. But, but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Most trial performances aren't very good. But the main girl in Wrinkle in Time is actually quite good. She carries it, but not the boy. He's bad. Talking of bad, my fourth film is Knowing. Mm-hmm. It's a disaster film that was made in 2009. Part of my review says, after it finished, I really worked hard at trying to work out what happened and why it happened. Unfortunately, I didn't get far. It's fine if a film isn't great, but still entertaining, but this wasn't fun at all. By two action scenes, it was pretty dull for an end-of-the-world film. And that's what it was. It was... A disaster movie, it was end of the world and it was just so disappointing that the stakes seemed so low mm-hmm. when you watch and I, I'm actually weirdly a bit of a fan of disaster movies, I don't, I don't know why um, but it's quite epic to see the destruction of our landscape and humanity um, <laughs> um, so I, and two examples that are great are 2012 and Day After Tomorrow um, but part of the reason why they're good, as much as the story's a bit loose, the destruction's unbelievable. You know, the hurricanes, the the tsunamis that you see, the buildings falling mm. apart, the tectonic plates yeah. moving. They're bad films, but they give you what you want. Yeah. Like, they know what they are. You just want to see a lot of destruction, and they give you that. Yeah, and, and uh, knowing who, which stars Nicolas Cage, is a slightly different take, because it's, it's more about him trying to work out what what's happening with these events you know there's particular numbers and he needs to try and decipher them um so there's a lot of him going around trying to work that out uh, whilst these events are taking place and he happens to be at each and every event he's there but he doesn't die um until the the final event i won't spoil it but it <laughs> you just did <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i won't right. spoil it but he dies <laughs> yeah everyone dies um, but no, don't go and watch it because there's far better disaster movies. And it it's sounds interesting in concept. Mm. Like if that was just a summary, I'd probably check it out. But yeah, does it just fall flat? Yeah. It, it, and that's, <clears throat> as I said earlier, like with the action scenes, you, you just want to see a bit more. And they might, might have had a low budget, but there was just nothing really to, to be entertained by. So that was a shame. Um, mm. what, what are your, what's your take on disaster films? Even like The Impossible, for example. Yeah, they're a guilty pleasure because I think many of them are pretty bad. Like, they obviously know people just watch them for the big, like, destruction and so kind of sideline all the characters and the story to very, like, bland stereotypes. But, yeah, I think The Impossible is a better better example. Yeah, that feels, like, very real and visceral. Yeah, I think the more realistic they are, the better... Like, when it just gets served at the top, I'm just like, okay, whatever. But, yeah. Did you ever see Greenland? I did, yeah, that's a better version. Because I think that crafts a lot of, like, really suspense scenes. Like, there's one where they're allowed to escape on an airplane, like, a few people are selected to, like, go to a safe space. But they find that the, like, kid has, like, a medical condition. So they, like, tell them they can't get on the plane because only, like, the healthiest people can get on. And that's just like a really like horrible moment, and yeah, a lot of good scenes in that. That was terrifying. I really liked that because the other main ones focus on destruction and maybe mm. not individual family, but this one, yeah, focused on that family, but also really concentrated on 
what happens in those situations to people. What are people capable of? Yeah, definitely. And almost, it, or pe- the people around you and the decisions they make can be scarier than actually what's going on. So mm. that was terrifying. That's a great point. Yeah, because you'd think, like, and I hate don't look up, but some parts of that are very true. Like, you'd think people, when faced with a massive, like, catastrophe, would band together and, like, formulate a great plan, but it's probably not going to happen. Like, we're very dumb, scared people. Like, we're just going to fall apart and start mm. turning on each other. Absolutely crazy. And that's what's more scary, yeah, as you said, than a big meteorite. And what the the really true thing in Don't Look Up is when uh, there was a billionaire who tried to monetize the, the the comet, which I think that would definitely happen yeah. with someone. <laughs> I hate that film, but I think a lot of it is quite true. What do you do? You particularly hate the editing <clears throat> and the, the way it's filmed about that. Yeah, I just think the commentary is very on the nose. Like it's so obvious that it becomes cringy almost. Mm. Like, it's not that the commentary is, like, deep within, like, the dialogue. It's that everything is the commentary. Like, it's not it's not just part of the film, it is the film. Like, the whole thing is just, like, pointing the finger at the audience to go, look how stupid our society is, look how stupid you are, looking at your phone all the time and not believing the news and all that shit. Just kind of, like, points the finger at the audience and makes them feel bad for themselves. And I don't like that. He like comes from a place of superiority. Like the director thinks he's so much, he's enlightened, and he'll tell us all what's so wrong with our lives. And yeah, and the editing as well. It's just so jumpy and incoherent, trying to, so hard to be edgy and cool, and it just comes off as a cringe fest. And I don't like it. It's a great point. And didn't the director? He's quite a famous one as well. Yeah, he started off in comedy. Adam McKay, like he made Anchorman, and I think he made Step Brothers. He did. But then he wanted to make the jump into more serious films. I made, like, Vice and The Big Short. So, yeah, a lot of quite acclaimed films that I don't like. <laughs> you don't like The Big Short? I haven't seen them, but I don't think I like them. Yeah. Because, again, they're trying to be a bit cool. Mm. Oh, yeah, The Big Short tries to do that very much. And a quick note on Nicolas Cage. He was in. He was the star in Knowing. I haven't seen many Nicolas Cage films, actually, but one of them I have seen a clip of was The Wicker Man. Yeah. And I definitely <laughs> advise people to type in The Wicker Man um, torture B scene. Yeah. And it's just phenomenal. Um, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another so bad it's good film. I've seen a lot of YouTube reviews of that. Mm. I do like Nicolas Cage. He's very entertaining. And a good actor in things, yeah. He's good in Conair. Yeah, he's very good in bringing out the dead. Martin Scorsese film. Check that out. Nice. Well, let's check out your third worst movie. My third worst movie is The Lion King. Yeah, I hate... The remake. The remake, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, the original 1994 animated film is one of my favourite films. I think it's in my top ten. So... It feels a bit insulting for them to go and remake it in this fashion. Like, it's got an extra punch to it because I love that original so much. And I hate... I think I've gone over this a lot, but I hate Disney live-action remakes because it's just a move away from creativity and it's just the same bland, formulated entertainment where they just take a beloved animated film and just repackage it in some, like, CGI new version... And it's used to capitalise on our nostalgia for the original. Like, anything you may enjoy in these remakes is just because you enjoyed the original. Like, they take elements out of that and put it in this new one. And it's just, yeah, terrible. Why, why did, firstly, why did you find the first original Lion King so good? I think it's a masterpiece. Like, it's got one of the best scores of all time. Some amazing songs. The animation is stellar. And, yeah, it's just that overarching theme of not regretting and moving on with your life. There's One of my favourite scenes in that is when Rafiki, like, swings his staff at Simba and he ducks because he's, like, learned from the past and moved forward and made better decisions. And that's a really interesting take. It's a great character arc as well. Yeah, it's just a brilliant film, great humour as well. And... Yeah, the new one, I was almost tricked into liking it. I was watching it and I was like, this is okay. But then I realised 
it was just because I loved the original. Like, it's already got a great story because the original had a great story. So anything that's good about it is just because of the original. It's so lazy. And, yeah, the photorealistic animals just take away so much. Like, it goes for realism but takes away all the emotion and all the expression. So it just it doesn't work either because he's trying to make a documentary. John Favreau, the director kept on saying he was trying to make a documentary whilst the animals are singing and talking anyway. So it's got this like clash between realism and just having these singing animals. So like pick a side and I just hate it. That's that's completely fair. Did they, because I watched Jungle Book and that's the Jungle Book, the remake in 2016, I think, is the only Disney live action film that I actually like. And mm. I really enjoyed it. I've watched yeah, it a few times. Yeah, I like it. It's all right. Um, I don't know whether I hadn't seen the original Jungle Book, so I don't know how similar it is. But you haven't. I have, sorry, but not for a while. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, in terms of this new Lion King, is it not quite shot for shot, but is it very similar in terms of the the scenes and the story and the and the lines, mm-hmm. the script? Is it almost spot on to the original? Yeah, with the Jungle Book original film, there was a lot of room for improvement. Anyway, like. I don't think anyone would claim that's their favourite Disney film. It's good, but it's not flawless. And the new one changed a lot of things. Like, it drew more from the book than it did from the animated film. But with this new Lion King, it literally is a shot-for-shot remake. Oh, God. Like, it's almost a carbon copy each scene with very small changes. And these small changes take away so much. Like, there's a great YouTuber called YMS... And I think I mentioned it before, but he did like a three-hour review. And he just goes through each of these little changes. And it you might not think it's much, but it takes away so much from the character. Like, each scene just has like a few alterations that take away so much because the director has no idea what made the original so good. It's just a total misunderstanding of their own material. And I uh, despise it. Yeah, such a big mistake. And it's a shame that... Tarnishes Disney's yeah. reputation. What's more annoying is how successful it was. Like, if it came out and nobody watched it and everyone hated it, I wouldn't really care. Like, yeah, fair enough, it didn't work out. But it made, like, over a billion dollars. And everyone, a lot of people love it. Saying, oh, it's my childhood again. And I just want, I don't want to be snobby, but I want to grab them by the shoulders and go, this is bullshit. <laughs> open your fucking eyes. Open your eyes, they're tricking you. They're stolen your money. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good. And even the voice acting, you remember you saying you didn't like. Um, even that had, like, Seth Rogen as Pumba, uh, but, it, you know, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, all the recasting is terrible as well, because they've got John Oliver Zazu. Ah, oh, and he's so bad. Because Rowan Atkinson was amazing as Zazu. But oh, yeah. John Oliver is just a celebrity. Like, they don't... They haven't cast good voice actors. They've cast celebrities. They can slap on the poster. Because in the promotional campaign... All the posters were just, like, the character saying, like, oh, Beyoncé is Nala, and every one of those for each character. So you go, oh, look at all these celebrities in my Disney film. Beyoncé would garner a lot of people as well. And she's she's not good in the film. She does, like, a rendition of Can You Feel the Love Tonight. She's got her warbly voice just trying to make it her own thing. She but, like, butchers that song as well. I'll stop talking about it. Well, don't watch it. Guys, if you if you're interested in live action, go to the original, rewatch that. I think you'll have a better time. Yes. I'm going to do a double hit for my third worst, Ooh, and cheeky. the reason is they're both from the same trilogy. Now, they are Star Wars: The Last Jedi and Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Mm, interesting. So we recently discussed Star Wars, so we don't need to go into it too much. And in my reviews, I've put that I never want to judge films too harshly. And I've also mentioned the fact that as a standalone film, it is quite good in some aspects. Hmm. But it it's horrible. It's <laughs> horrible to watch because we spoke about the original and then I grew up with the three prequels starting from, I think, 1999. And then these three, Force Awakens, it was number seven. That was a lot of fun and that had some really... It brought back some really good characters. I, I really enjoyed the story and everything that came with it and the... Um, nods to the previous Star Wars is but 8 and 9 just completely took another turn um, if we focus on 8 for example the whole film is basically set in two spaceships 
where one is chasing the other mm. and there's no there's just no story there's no room for characters to grow just so many awful decisions um i do remember you saying actually in the previous episode that you should never a lot of people do judge the the last two star wars films in particular based too much on the story and that if you actually take the story out there is a lot of good you know there's really good special effects the music's solid again yeah some of the acting's quite good yeah the very the trilogy are very well made films like, I understand that story and character comes first with, like, any main franchise, because it's all about where did a, where does it go? Yeah, what's the outcome? But if you just kind of take a step back from that and just kind of analyse how the films are made, they're really well-made films, like, especially The Last Jedi. There's so many iconic shots in that, like, when the ship does hyperspeed through the other one. That's a great visual. On the salt planet at the end when it's just like the ships are going through and like red dust is sparking up like really creative ways of presenting things so if you care less about the story I think you'd get a lot from that and that's funny that you say that because a a few people that aren't as big as Star Wars fans as I'd like to think of some of my friends um, they they enjoyed it they said they had a good time yeah that's the thing yeah on their own they're fine films but as a trilogy yeah it doesn't work at all they're just tote and it's just a mess. It's one of those where as well I've been indoctr- almost indoctrinated by all the YouTube videos I've watched mm. that things like somehow Palpatine returned and that's it. That's the, how that's they explain away uh, Palpatine who fell through at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I hated his introduction. Terrible. It was just nostalgia bait really. Yeah, it was never set up in any of the other films but... It even tricked me into getting excited because I remember that, <laughs> remember that trailer coming out, and then you heard his cackle. I was like, "Oh my god, it's Emperor Palpatine!" <laughs> and then I was like, "Why is he here? I don't know." <laughs> oh, it just didn't work. And the, yeah, I think as I said, all those YouTube videos have found so many holes. So I know that the, those are incredibly harsh ratings, but I am I am mainly rating it based on the fact that if the first six I like pretty much all of them. Uh, even number seven, and I just think endings are important. And and endings, as I've discussed with something like Breaking Bad or alternatively Game of Thrones, ending make or break a whole series or, or mm. trilogy of films. Yeah. And if you're left with a... Like, that's when you, you know you eat a sweet and, and it's quite nice, but at the end it leaves a bit of a sour taste. You, you, I don't really go back to that sweet. So it's that idea of just the last bit you didn't enjoy, so you, you're not going to return it or recommend yeah. it or enjoy it. It's a good analogy. <laughs> it's just a total mismanagement of the series. Uh, they didn't plan it out at all, so it's just a bit clunky. But yeah, I quite like the films. Even the last one, I got a lot of enjoyment with. I think I knew it was going to be bad going in, so I think I was different from quite a lot of people. Like I, I didn't expect anything, so I was just, I was kind of almost enjoying how bad it was. <laughs> It's kind of like Marvel at this point. I don't really take it seriously, so I just kind of enjoy whatever they give me. And with the Star Wars one, I was just kind of along for the ride and just kind of laughing at all the decisions they made. But I know if you've got a really personal attachment to Star Wars, which I don't quite have, you can get quite offended by some of their decisions. So someone going to the cinema in the 80s, you can understand yeah, why... Yeah, it's really how you approach the film. Like, mm. if you go in really wanting the finale to be amazing with all these great character moments it's going to disappoint and Star Wars obviously is turning into something like Marvel in that we had the Mandalorian now we we just saw a trailer last night of Obi-Wan Kenobi and we had the book of Boba Fett which nobody saw it's just too much at this point isn't it it's a saturation overload because what happened to the the whole thing of you got really excited when when there's not a lot you get really excited because mm. it's happened sporadically or you have to wait a few years. Um, I can't think of any, many examples, but, well, the Game of Thrones last series, I think I remember having to wait a year and a half or mm. something. They said, oh, this will be released in a year and a half. And that kind of worked because it really builds it up. But when you've just finished a Marvel film and there's you're watching a trailer for another Marvel film, <laughs> I think those, and likewise with Star Wars, I think it's just mm. it's too much. It's too much, yeah. It's the whole thing you need to, like... It's like in relationships sometimes. You need to be away from someone to realise how much you love them. 
<laughs> what? We're doing some good analogies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. In that respect, have you ever considered taking a three or four week hiatus from any screen or movies? Mm, no. <laughs> Films are too important for me. I think I'd get, I'd get depressed. <laughs> and the the at the end of three weeks, it wouldn't be worth the tough period. No, I oh, know I can see it in concept, but I just <laughs> I get fidgety. Yeah, it's not worth it's it. It's my way of yeah escaping. Did you struggle during the cinema closure? Do you think? I did, yeah. Not as much as I thought because we've got so many streaming services now. I had like an endless amount of films to watch, a lot to catch up on my watch list, but I did miss that cinema experience. Covid was a good excuse to watch a lot of films as well. I now I watch so many. <laughs> In 2020 I watched 391 films. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that's Which is sad or amazing. 1.1 films a day take roughly. It as you like. So you what's your second worst film? Hmm, I'm looking at them now. <laughs> So my second worst film is Zombievers. <laughs> See that, right. As I said earlier, some films you know going into it just based off the name, and that is one of them, surely. Zombievers. Zombievers is an amazing film. So bad it is. Hilarious. In which some beavers get infected by... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just the first line, some beavers get affected. Infected by some chemical waste and turn into mutant beavers, which... Oh, damn. Which attack attack a group of teenage friends who are on their little summer holiday by a lakeside. And, yeah, it doesn't go to plan for them. They want a little dip in the lake, but these, these nasty beavers come at them and attack them. And it's a big fight and a big battle against these scary beavers. And that's the film? That's the film. How does, how does that story last? That's like five, ten minutes. I don't think it's a long film, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, and uh, even the stuff without the beavers is so bad. Like, the group of teenage friends are written as, like, the most generic teenagers. They're just talking about sex and booze. Oh, we're going to get drunk by the lake, aren't we? Oh, you're going to have sex with her? And it's just <laughs> so cringy. But I think it's self-aware, so it's not... Oh, is it? Okay. It's not... I think some people really like the film because it is fully embracing its cheesy concept. And it's not trying to be scary, necessarily. And there is some effort put in. Like, the beavers look a lot better than you would expect. Like, there is some kind of cool practical effects. But, yeah, it's not very good. Bill Burr is in it in, like, the first five minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. He literally isn't in it at all, but he's the guy driving the truck, and then he kind of crashes the truck, I think, and chemical waste spills out. He's, like, in it for a minute, and you're like, is that Bill Burr? <laughs> and then he just kind of goes on his way. <laughs> to be fair, it's a paycheck. It's probably, like, 90% of the budget went to Bill Burr, and you can tell. Yeah. It, what are the special effects like for the beavers? It's all practical, which is a much better decision. Because if they tried to do CGI on their budget, it would have been so much more dated. But I think there's mostly, like, puppets and stuff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Do you think if you're... Do you know what, though? It's for money, but if you're an actor in that film, you're not completely immersed and confident in the project, are you? I think you've got to know what you're going in for. I don't think anyone's going in there hoping for an Oscar. <laughs> Apart from the beavers. It's mostly just like hot young people with like bikinis, you know, very gratuitous. You get these like films like Piranha 3D, where it's mostly very sexualized, a bit of gore thrown in for like 14 year olds. I can see my 14 year old self switching this on at Netflix at night, thinking it's a bit edgy and cool, but. Yeah, that's the thing, because I think obviously now we're getting to an age where we generally want to watch good, entertaining, well-made films. But when you're younger, you do want that kind of like weird kick. And I can think of a film, for example, we're looking at films along that line. Sharknado <laughs> is a great example because that, again, Sharknado. So it's a shark tornado. Yeah. No, Zombievers is very much like Sharknado. Okay. But Sharknado is very self-aware as well. So it kind of... When you're really self-aware, you kind of almost feel like you're immune from criticism. 
Like if you go, oh, it's meant to be bad. That's how we made it. You kind of go, oh, you can't criticize us, but it's no excuse. You can make a really cheesy, fun film and have it be good. Like we watched that crawl that one time about like a crocodile attacking someone. And it's very cheesy and a lot of fun, but it's a good film. Like it doesn't have to be god awful. Are there any films that are really bad, but they're not self-aware that they're bad? That are in that genre of like animals and horror. You mean like taking itself too seriously? Yeah. I can't think of any. Normally, when you've got like these big monster animal movies, often quite yeah on the nose. The Revenant. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I will go into my worst mm-hmm. film on Letterbox, and not sure if it's Have a you film. Have you done your second one? I. Did a joint two of the both okay. Star Wars films. A couple of low-rated films included The Strangers and The Girl on the Train. The mm. Girl on the Train, because I read the book, it was amazing, the film was awful, and The Strangers is just a terrible and very, very, very boring horror film. <laughs> but the winner, by a country mile, this is the easiest winner I've ever had to pick out, is Home Sweet, Home Alone. <laughs> and further loads of things to say about this right first it's in the name it's a yeah. terrible film name second it's quite clever actually <laughs> and this is a really good point to bring up child actors right so I, I actually mentioned Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone and he's one of the best child actors I can think of that absolutely carried that film he encapsulated everything that was good about it and the kid that plays in this again not his fault because there's so much that goes into it the script is is ridiculous but he's terrible. He he plays it almost like he's not even a kid. Some of the words he's saying and the way he's acting or the way he's been told to act mm. is not how a kid would ever act. Yeah. With Macaulay Culkin, he was kind of like slightly odd and like mature for his age. Like He didn't quite act like a kid, but that was his character. Like He was meant to be a bit off-kilter, wasn't he? Like doing that whole shaving scene. Yep. It's not necessarily what a kid would do, but it felt like his character. But, yeah. And then in Home Alone, the plot's nice and nice and easy to follow. So you've got the family goes away, and then you've got two burglars that are trying to get in, because, and then they get annoyed at the kid, and they mix together. And actually, when I rewatched it, I realised that there's the scene with the, them trying to get in isn't as long as I remember. No. It only lasts for about 15, 20 minutes of the film. But regardless, the first hour is quite a good setup, I thought. Mm. Um, but this film, honestly, if you try and sit and work out what happened, it, do- it doesn't make sense. I'll try and give you a little synopsis. The, the kid goes to the toilet, right? So he's with his mum at the start of the film. He needs to go to the toilet. So they walk, walk into a house that's got a house viewing going on. Because in America, when you've got house viewings, it's an open house, so people mm. can walk in. So they use the toilet. They meet a couple in there, and he might have stole uh, something that the couple owned and the, well, the couple think he has. And so then they try and they track him down in the house and then they try and attempt to get into the house and steal whatever the kid supposedly stolen. Uh, turns out he didn't steal it. And it, uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I can't even rack my it brain. It sounds like inception. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know what happened to the, um, uh, you know, I, I would be more interested in a, maybe a direct remake than something just as ridiculous as that. They were trying to be different, maybe. Yeah. Home Alone doesn't seem like it has sequel potential, really. Like, it's such a simple film that it doesn't really leave much to expand upon, aside from money. Like, it's got five films now, I think. It had, like, Home Alone 2, 3, 4, and now this. It's, like, ridiculous. That's true. And... Times have changed because when we watched that, it was a slapstick humor is quite popular. So when they were uh, when they're falling over mm. and when they're getting to these traps, and security was different, and American family ideals were different. But now it's very it's twenty 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 one. It was made, so it's it's got all the security aspect, and it it's not as funny oh, because it's meant when to be like really digital and high tech. Yeah, and then when they're oh. the two the couple are slipping on ice, it's a couple, it's a guy and a girl who are in their, like, 40s and just seem so out of place to any, be burglars. Any actors, noticeable actors? The woman who plays Erin in The Office. <laughs> Erin? Uh, the woman who plays Erin, the receptionist. Oh, like, weird. 
the ginger one. Why is she, why is she a villain? She plays the villain, but at the same time, the the, the villains aren't really that villainy. They're just no, normal like, she seems terrible casting. Yeah, like she's meant to be like really cheery and like upbeat. And it's got a return of the older brother in Home Alone One. He's actually in the film and he plays a police officer, Buzz. And he returns in the film for a couple of minutes. And that's it. He's the main kid. I think he's in Jojo Rabbit. I've seen the poster. Oh, wow, I didn't know and that. He's a very small character in Jojo Rabbit. And he's okay in that. But he's not given much. He's just meant to be, like, the best friend of the main kid. So you can see they're kind of capitalising on whatever fame he got from that. And I feel a bit sorry for him because it's everything in the film. Yeah. Um, I actually watched it with my brother, who's, who was 13 at the time, and even he could easily recognise that this film was trash. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, obviously it was made around... It was made for Christmas, 2021. It was made just purely for money with no soul, emotional creativity behind the project. And it's such a shame. It really is. I would advise everyone to... I bet Home Alone 3 and 4 are far better, yeah. by the way. Why did you watch it? Uh, well, we actually watched it knowing that we were together and we thought it was, I think it was 21st of December and we thought why not Yeah. let's let's give it a little watch this might be funny and it turns out it wasn't funny it was just annoying mm. um, <laughs> I thought at least I might enjoy laughing at it but I didn't even enjoy that so no. it's a shame on the theme of Christmas my worst film Ooh. is Santa Claus <laughs> oh no <laughs> and that might just sound like Father Christmas Santa Claus mm. but in the title it's spelled C-L-A-W-S. Wow. Because it features little kittens. Why they didn't call it Santa Paws. <laughs> so when I say it to you, you actually understand it's about animals. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine if you said that, like, I just watched Santa Claus. Like, oh, Santa Claus with, with Tim Allen. Like, no, <laughs> Santa Claus, the kitty cats. <laughs> it's oh, such a boy. shit title. And from, yeah, from that, you don't really have high hopes, do you? Yeah, I've watched this twice, actually. <laughs> oh, no. I watched it first with my dad and then had to show it my sister. Oh, really? Basically, a, a bunch of kittens have to save Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop. Uh, I don't Please. really know what the story was, but basically, yeah, I think Father Christmas has some problems happened there. He's not able to deliver the presents, so these little kittens have to save the day. And these kittens can talk, obviously. So they've got little CGI mouths that move <laughs> when they talk. And it's like the jankiest visual effect. So it's like somebody just slapped on a pair of lips onto these cats. <laughs> they just move up and down when they talk. And it's got some like really bad comedy, like really awful slapstick. It looks like it's filmed on like my shitty DSLR. I, I could have probably done better cinematography. It's so cheap and trash. And it's on Netflix, I think, so... I'd recommend checking it out, because it's horribly bad. Wow, so some families might tune in thinking, oh, the kids will like this one. Yeah, it's got a nice sort of poster with <laughs> cats. And do you want to see the poster? Yeah. I'll give you, give you a little sneak peek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the poster's not terrible, is it? It's, it's it seems pretty like... terrible. It's got, like... Why has the cat got a red nose? What's that got to do? I was meant to be Rudolph. But if I again, if I were a family, I'd think, oh, the the kids might like this. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you the catchphrase. Catchphrase. It is. It's a holiday cat astrophe. It says on the poster. (laughs) (laughs) And the poster has four kittens in a Santa sack, little baubles, and the. The closest cat's got a red nose like Rudolph. So obviously you get you get the dynamic there. So yeah. you've watched it twice. And... I've watched it twice and I don't remember the story. So I'll read the summary. Santa is allergic to cats, so he has a policy against delivering them as gifts. But little Tommy has been so good and all he wants is one small key. Santa says, OK. But instead of one, the whole litter climbs into the sack. When Santa has a major allergic re- <laughs> when Santa has a major allergic reaction, the kittens have to take over and deliver the presents on time. Oh my god! Uh, what what is that? Uh, yeah, 
Only 695 people have watched it on Letterboxd. And That's it has low. a rating of 1.5 out of 5. That's low. Which is quite high, to be honest. So <laughs> it is. I think some people are giving it a 5 for So Bad It's Good. I'm trying to get my head around the fact that they wrote a story based on the fact that Santa is allergic to cats. Allergic to cats. <laughs> Incredible. But he thought he would deliver one cat and that'd be okay. But actually, four cats <laughs> went into the sack. So that was too much for old Santa Claus. And he, he had to go home sick. Just when you think we've had enough Santa movies and things mm. that can go wrong, you meet an allergic I think Yeah, I think the deep message of the film is that we've got to respect cats more. So, like, any stray cat you see on the street, you've just got to give it more credit for, for what it is and just really appreciate the kittens of this world. That's what I personally took away from the film. But it has many different meanings and interpretations. Yeah, it's quite a... It's a powerful film, yeah. It, it took me a while to come over that one, but... And you mentioned the, the So Bad It's Good. It, it does sound like you're almost recommending it for a Christmas. I am, movie. yes. I don't know how much you could probably take, but stick on 30 minutes of it and you'll get you'll get the vibe. You get a bit of laughter as well. A bit of laughter. We were laughing, definitely. Because that's, and that's what you want. At the end of the day, you're not going to love every film, but as long as you come out of it thinking, do you know what, I had a bit of fun with that. Yeah, I'd rather watch Santa Claus ten times than The Lion King again. Lion King remake. I, have, I hate to have to specify which one. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they didn't even name it differently. I know. Films are so bad, they're good. Get a pass. Yeah. Because it's about enjoying yourself at the end of the day, and if you're not doing that, then what's the point? Well, what a perfect way to end it. Go go out with one of these ten films and experiment for yourself. See if it's so bad that it's good. And maybe have a think about what your worst films are and why, and, and then why in turn, why that makes the, the really good films you know, much better because you can see how difficult it is sometimes to make to make movies. True that. What's your final message? Uh, yeah, just mirroring that. I'd say watch a range of films so you can put stuff in perspective. Yeah, and just try and understand why you have a certain opinion. Like, dig a little deeper and demand better. You ultimately vote with your wallet. If you go to the cinema to watch some trash, then you're promoting that film. So think about what you're consuming as well. Perfect. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. See you later.